Welcome back to the Lawali Life podcast. I hope you're all doing as well as you can in either self-isolation or isolation with your loved ones. I know it can be taxing, so I'm going to be here to bring you some of the most inspiring people I know and content over the next few weeks to help keep you grounded, stress-free, and inspired and motivated during this very strange time. For those of you that haven't tuned in already, I'm Alice Law and I'm your host and founder of Lawali Life, which is my coaching practice I've set up to help stress professionals and entrepreneurs to manage, get rid of and decrease stress whilst improving their personal and professional performance. This podcast is based purely around stress and loss, which is pretty apt at this time, and it is a mixture of conversations with amazing leaders in their fields from top CEOs, neuroscientists, other coaches and practitioners, spiritual thought leaders, entrepreneurs, and more guiding you through the greatest stress and losses they've personally had to overcome, how they did it, and tips on how to get you back through yours. I am so excited to bring to you today's guest. It is the incredible John Sane, who is live from over in his family farm, quarantining just outside Johannesburg. He is a global speaker, a three-time best-selling author, but most importantly, he is a global trend specialist. He is a futurist innovation and disruption strategist. He works with global brands around the world as well as governments, and he encourages new ways of thinking. He combines psychology and technology with his fascination for the future, and at this moment in time, when someone is so about new ways of thinking, he could not be more relaxing and inspiring to listen to. He also has just already written an ebook around the current pandemic and how we can respond to it as humans. And he also has a part two and part three coming out. I put the link in the bio for that because I can't suggest reading it more. I have, and I really hope that you enjoy his incredible ways of thinking and insights into the current situation and also how we can respond to these things in the future. so much for joining today. Today we have the incredible John Sane, who is a strategist, a trend specialist, a best-selling author, speaker, entrepreneur, coach, you name it. So it's really exciting to have you here today. And he has an unlimited fascination with the future, essentially. So I don't think I could have a better guest right now because you've already brought out an ebook on the current global pandemic and how people can, you know, respond to it and help them. And it's just um, really exciting to talk to you today at this current time. So thank you so much for joining. My absolute pleasure, Alice. Wonderful to be here. London's one of my favorite cities and the citizens of it always excite me. So wonderful to be here with you. Thank you for having me on. Thank you. So I usually, as people know who listen to my podcast, I usually ask my guests um, what the greatest stress or loss they've personally been through is. And I know from, you know, looking at your own work and things, you've experienced divorce and bankruptcy, and that was part of your journey. And that's obviously been losses in themselves that people go through. But I thought today, because of this current situation and your expertise and all these things and trends, I'd love to ask you instead if you believe that as humanity, as a collective, do you believe that the greatest stress and loss we are currently going through is is the greatest one we've had? Yeah, great question. I mean, I think stress needs to also be uh, like redefined because... Well, let me first talk about the the, the sort of uh, energy, the process that we're in right now. And I write about this in my ebook around the fact that we need to all mourn and grieve our future memories. And I think the stress that's brought about is the expectation of where we should have been, 
who we could have been, what we could have bought, what holidays we were supposed to be on, and et cetera, et cetera. And so all these projections into the future is what we are collectively mourning right now. In fact, they're quite selfish uh, projections and future memories that we had that we've all had to let go of. And we all have different ways of dealing with this grief. You know, some people are still angry and some people are still in denial and some people are stuck in grief. And ultimately, we need to let go of the expectations that we had created. I also speak about this concept of stress because I think that everybody thinks that stress is a bad thing. And I ultimately think that stress is only bad if you perceive it to be as such. And I think that if we become anti-fragile, which is this concept of the opposite of fragility, which means that when you feel stress, you break. But if you approach stress with it, something that's giving you another opportunity to be creative and to solve more problems, you actually enjoy the concept of being anti-fragile. So one, we are collectively sharing and mourning our future memories. And secondly, the stress is just your choice of how you want to go and identify it. And my, my, my urge is for people to try and get as anti-fragile as possible, because if we think the world is changing at a rapid pace right now, we really need to understand that the future is totally unknown and we need to be so super adaptive that that is what we need to be starting to focus on. Yeah, I love that. And I think it's really interesting when you said, because I read your you know, ebook Future Now that you just brought out and how you said that we are mourning because we do, we're all going through a state of loss. People will be going through different losses, but everyone is going through a loss of a reality we once knew, of a you know timetable, of a schedule we once knew in a life we were so used to. And I love how you said you, you know, looking at the five stages of grief, which Elizabeth Kubler Ross, for those that listen and don't know who she is, she's essentially was the godmother of grief and um, came up with these. <laughs> <laughs> came up with these um, five stages, which are, you know, the uh, denial, the anger, the bargaining, the depression and grief and the acceptance. So do you think that people are going to struggle at this time and get stuck in the depression and not get to this, the acceptance? Well, look, I think if you don't know these five stages, you will give yourself time to wallow in each one of them. If you realize that they are these stages, then you understand that you need to go through them. Also remember, if you are getting stuck in any one of them except acceptance, you are suffering from a junior consciousness. And a junior consciousness means that I love drama. I love feeling sorry for myself. I love feeling sorry for other people. And I'm angry with the world. And those three characteristics keep you stuck in anger, denial, bargaining, or just any one of those stages without acceptance. So I wrote the ebook to try and give people a framework of understanding, look, as human beings, we all have the same layers of... Uh, survival consciousness. And we have realized which layer of the survival consciousness trigger points do we want to get stuck in? And we can all have a choice of being stuck in either one of them. And we all very well know a president of a very big country that it's stuck in anger. And he's just in anger. And there's just continuously in anger, blaming everybody else around them, never getting into the state of acceptance. So really for me, it's about your opportunity to work on your survival consciousness trigger so that you can release yourself of the past in order to create something new coming out of this. Yeah, I love that. And I love that concept of survivor consciousness because I think it's um, something that we all need to tap into right now, whether we're aware of it or not. So when you talk about them, you know, predicting trends in the future, um, the future right now, a lot of people are saying the word for it is uncertainty. So how do you plan to sort of, what would be your advice for preparing people for the uncertainty that's about to come up and is still playing out every day? Mm. 
Look, the world we come from was linear in fashion. Um, we all know the process of the Industrial Revolution. Go to school, go to university, get married, get a job, have kids, work till you get retired, play a bit of golf and die. And that was kind of the <laughs> linear world we lived in, right? And we live now in a world that's multifaceted, multi-dimensional. Uh, it's quantum rather than linear. It's constantly changing. There, were, there was a stat that came out, I think from Inc., that said we'll have 29 different careers. If you're 20 years old today, you'll have 29 different careers before you pass away. And so we have to start realizing that the world we're in right now is already uncertain. It's not about preparing for uncertainty. We are in uncertainty. And what we have to do is become comfortable with uncertainty. And so when people say to me, and, and look, I've been, because of my, I suppose, because I've written so many books and because of my position as faculty on a couple of universities, working with strategy, with organizations, I constantly ask the question, so what does the future look like? And the truth is, it's irrelevant what the future looks like. It depends what you want to bring about in this future. And I think the number one trend today is, what are you doing to access your genius so you can bring about your ability to upgrade humanity around you? And in the future that we're moving into, the number one thing that is celebrated by society is your uniqueness your authenticity, which is brought about by your curiosity. And so if you're diving deep into your curiosity, you're so stuck into what makes you most excited, what shines brightest for you. It's irrelevant what the trends are. What you will do is create your own path and your future. And in that state, you will create a movement around your belief systems. And I think that's by far the thing that we need to take out of this is our own individual access to our pockets of genius that we have. I love that. So do you almost essentially think and believe that we can find certainty from our own willingness for introspection if we're actually willing to look Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Do you understand that the certainty that you're looking for from the outside is irrelevant? Your certainty should be coming from the inside. And so it was Edelkut, um, this famous fashion, I'm not a famous futurist. About 10 years ago, I remember watching her and she said something that blew me away. She said, fashion is dead. There's no such thing anymore. And she was like, like, your fashion now becomes your individual style, becomes fashion. And this was 10 years ago, right? So we were like, what are you talking about? But the truth is fashion has died because what we used to buy into in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s, many of us have like moved away from it. And we almost got our own sort of uh, personal styles that we have. And this is exactly indicative of the future we're going to be having. Our certainty comes from our own confidence, our own access, our own curiosity and our own unique power. Not to be a cog in the machine, but to be a machine yourself. And because now with the advent of the internet and being fast-tracked because of corona, we now can build a tribe anywhere in the world. You know, I get off now, I'm sitting on a farm in the northern mountains of South Africa, and I speak to more people around the world than I ever have, ever. <laughs> and that's because we become borderless. So now I can build a tribe of people that want to believe in the possibility of creating a new world together. That's one that is inclusive rather than exclusive, but I can build this tribe now from the farm with millions of people around the world. So I don't have to be anywhere and I don't have to buy into any trend except the, this concept of uniqueness and this authenticity that I'm speaking of. Yeah, that's, uh, I love that. That's such a good point. I think I'd really like to talk to you more about the inclusive um, future that you think needs to sort of come together after this. But as well, 
I think it's such an interesting point. It's about becoming resilient to the inevitable things that are happening all around us. I mean, I always say that with stress, but life, we've got no control over life whatsoever in terms of our own personal things that happen to us. So this has just shown everyone on great scale that something can happen to the whole world as well at the same time that we also have no control over. So making ourselves resilient to that is so important. So I want to just break down the word resilience. I think resilience in, in the old way was used was, I will fight the good fight. I am stronger than what's coming. And I think that concept of being a warrior for the future is not a good one because you're looking for something to be a warrior for. And I think resilience is in your ability to be able to be resilient in getting away from falling into the anxiousness trap the drama trap, the victim space. That's the only resilience you need to have is the resilience of your own internal dialogue because once you pop out of that triangle, everything's easy. There's nothing to fight because then you're in a state of flow, you're in a state of acceptance and you're in a state of curiosity, which means that you're adaptive naturally. You don't even have to be... Res what are you being resilient towards when you're in a state of adaptability and, and, and flow? So the resilient word is important, but only when it comes to us having that internal dialogue of getting us trapped or letting us go or becoming in a state of flow. I love that. It's the, the state of flow part, because I think that's, um, it's such an interesting point in the way that I actually found this recently. A friend said to me, you know, are you okay? You're by yourself. Um, cause I usually live with my friend, but when I you know, became ill, he then was like, I can't come back here. So I've been in you know, self-isolation like so many people have for, I don't know, four weeks. I don't know. And um, I'm in London and I'm finding I'm very calm. Like I'm lucky enough to not be in sort of survival mode at the moment because I have a roof over my head and I am, my health is going in the right direction and I'm fine. All these things. But I think because I'm still so calm as essentially it's because I've had scenarios that have built that inner resilience in the way that I react in a calm way to things because a threat to me is, you know, running down a hospital corridor praying that the other person you're getting to, you know, whether it's my dad or whoever, is still alive, you know. So that, to me, is like that immediate threat. So right now I feel very calm. So how would you say that people might not already be developed their sort of natural calm and resilience to these sort of things who are in a state of panic? what would you say is the best thing for them to get into that state of flow and calm right now when they really can't see how or why that's necessary at all? This coronavirus has magnified and agitated any undercurrent scenarios that we had. So like I wrote in my ebook, if you were anxious, now you have even more option of being anxious, angry, even more option of being angry. So really the, the, the answer to your question is there's no silver bullet. And I think that's what we must realize is that it's like being obese. There's no silver bullet to get fit and healthy. It's a process that you have to go through on a daily moment by moment focus point where you're looking at the three states that you are. And we're all made up of three states. And so if you are feeling anxious and if you're feeling uh, agitated or resentful, remember both your, I mean, all three of your states are feeling agitated. Your body is feeling agitated. Your mind is feeling agitated and your emotions are feeling agitated. So what you have to do is break down your day into focusing on all three of those. So what are you doing for your emotional state? Uh, are you meditating? Are you journaling? Who are you meditating with? What are you trying to achieve out of your meditations and journal process? And 
What research are you doing into that? I, re- I meditate twice a day. I use Dr. Joe Dispenza meditations, who I'm a huge fan of. And even this morning, even this morning, I woke up and I was slightly anxious about one or two things that are going on in my business. And I went straight into a 30-minute meditation from Joe Dispenza. And I came out of it and I'm just in such a state of gratitude and my, my whole emotional state to change. Now, even me, who somebody has been practicing meditation for 10 years and journaling and writing books about it, I still fall into the trap of it. So understand that this is a daily process. And I also go to bed before I go to sleep. I meditate for an hour. Also, again, Joe Dispenza meditations. Then mental what are you doing for your mental state? And I break down my mental day into what am I learning? How am I growing? And when am I chilling? And those three things are important to give ourselves directives for our day, especially when we're sitting at home with so much time on our hands. And it's easy to get stuck into Netflix, but after you've been on Netflix for three hours, all you feel is terrible, bored, tired, disgusted with yourself. So stop doing that. Give yourself the Netflix gift at the end of the day. And throughout the day, what are you learning and what are you growing? And ultimately, how are you moving your physical body? Because remember, your body becomes your mind because we are habit-creating machines. And so the minute bodies or our minds can make something a habit, they do. Think about driving or think about going to the toilet or think about brushing your teeth. You don't even realize you're doing them, but stress and anxiousness also become a habit and our bodies become addicted to it. So if you're not moving your body twice a day for at least 20 minutes, you are now allowing your body to become your mind and become anxious on your behalf. So remember, you have to be doing this on a daily basis, minute by minute, moment by moment. There's no silver bullet to it. And if you're being lazy about it and you're being a victim about it, that is really to your own peril because nobody's going to help you unless you really help yourself. And I call this process self-first, not selfish. Because self-first says I'm doing this so I can add value to the world. Selfish means I'm doing this just because I want to wallow in my own shit. Sorry, I'm allowed to swear on you. Yeah, that's very more. People have. It's all fun. Okay, cool. Uh, I think okay, that's cool. um, it's so true and it's so important that people now, I think, are being forced to look at essentially the state of their emotions, the state of their mental health, that maybe they've really wanted to bandage over with multiple distractions in the outside world for years and years um, and have had the ability to do so by booking that next trip, by, you know, booking our next meal, going to the next, you know, meeting, whatever it is, and just keeps going, keeps going, keeps going. And um, I think it's going to be really interesting to see, although there might be a bit of fallout initially with people and mental health and coping in this current scenario, how it might change for the future. So do you believe that this could be a good catalyst for people actually getting really into a good emotional state years down the line? Look, there's a practice called Vipassana, which is a 10-day silent meditation retreat that you check yourself into. And I've often said on interviews that this is a global Vipassana because it's a bit luxurious because Vipassana, you don't get to, you don't get to have your comforts of your TV or your couch. You really are in a monk state. But what Vipassana is trying to do is trying to get you to quiet the chatter inside your head by forcing you to sit down and be quiet for 10 days in a row for 12 hours. And so this is a form of global Vipassana that gives you the opportunity to deal with the things that you haven't always dealt with. Now, you have a choice. If you want to not deal with them and look for ways to stay stuck in your drama triangle, that's really up to you. But I ultimately urge everybody to take this opportunity, this gift of time to dive into your own psyche, into your own emotional space and reach out. There's a million and one psychologists out there and coach doing online courses and online sessions. So do I think this is going to be good? I think it's going to be excellent for the people who choose it to be. 
And I think it's going to be disastrous for the people who don't choose it to be. And so we have to also realize that the world is made up of people that are in survivor mode and are always going to be in survivor mode. You know, there's people that never make it to the end of the month. And if they do, they just scrape through their whole lives. Then you have the people that are angry and perpetrators to the rest of the world. And they think that they have to take everything for themselves and if they win everybody else has to lose and then you have the conscious people and the people that are doing everything based on a collaborative basis and so the world i think the world's always mixed with these three scenarios and so will it be great yes if you choose it will it be terrible yes if you choose it and yes those realities are all available to everybody i love that it's um sorry all in the power of that choice like you say it's really uh, such a good point if we choose it then it can can change mm. so if the narrative you mentioned, you know, to me earlier, the future how is your second ebook that you are, you know, you've written and is going to come out. So, what do you think is the the narrative, the change in narrative that needs to happen as a collective for the future? Yes, it's not happening now. <laughs> yeah. No, well, look, I think I think what's happened is, and, and and I'm a big fan of capitalism, but I think capitalism has to mature, and I think that capitalism has brought us to this point, and it's great but we have been consumer-centric and profit-centric over the last 20, 30, 40 years. And we need to become planet-centric and we need to become conscious about the way we're making money so it can be sustainable for everybody and everything and everyone along the way so that it's not just this greed aspect. But what I'm tracking in my second book is neoliberal economic systems. And the neoliberal economic system is what we've been practicing and not as as a sign, but as a narrative in society that says that capitalism is great, grade, uh, greed is good, and we are all self-serving, selfish human beings, and toughies to the people who aren't making it, the rich just get richer and the poor get poorer. And really what's happened over the last 40 years, the top 1% have increased their income by $21 trillion and the bottom 50% have lost $900 billion. And the middle class really hasn't had a bump in their income according uh, in relation to inflation over the last 40 years. So what we're doing is we're moving towards a society that was from the 1800s where we had super wealthy and everybody else. And this really can't continue because any system that's not fair and not just is going to topple. And there's lots of documentation and research happening in universities right now to build a new narrative, a new way that we can go about making sure that everybody is having a successful life and everybody's adding value. And remember that our markets are made of companies creating solutions for consumers and then consumers demand choosing the innovations that are making the most sense to them and then buying those. That's what creates a market to move up and move up and move up, right? Now what's happened is that our market has become so sophisticated, we need better and better solutions. Those better and better solutions are brought about by cooperation, not competition. And so we need to move into a place of cooperation and look at humanity as the winner in all of this rather than just the elite few that are becoming more and more powerful, right? more and more laws to keep them more and more powerful. And so we've got to realize that capitalism is not about money, it's about people. Because if you have a, if you have a very, very bad middle class or no middle class, when you become rich, who's going to buy your product? There's nobody there to actually have the money to buy your product ultimately. And Henry Ford did this at the turn of the century. He doubled the wages of his people from $2 to $5 a day. Why? Because he wanted his workers to be able to afford his cars. <laughs> it kind of makes sense, you know what I mean? At the end of the day, like... If you keep squeezing everybody 
to nothing, who's going to buy your products eventually? I mean, it's just ridiculous to think. So I think what we do as consumers is need to become consumer activists. In other words, we need to stop looking for cheapest and start looking for fairest. Now, we need to now really drive these companies to start making better decisions that make everybody happy along the way, you know? And ultimately, how much do you actually need? And we also need to get down to that. It's like this ridiculous need to shop and shop and shop. For what? Like, what's going on inside your psyche that you need to keep filling this gap, you know? So ultimately, the book Future How is trying to build a narrative of the possibility of a new economic system. That's so, that's so interesting. I can't wait to can't wait to read that. And I think it's it's such a good point how you say we're just constantly, constantly buying, 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 filling these voids. But for what? And what has this essentially shown us is that we don't really need much because most people are surviving right now in their homes without having to buy a million outfits, without you know just with the food they need to eat and you know the roof over their head if they're lucky enough. So it is such an interesting point. Um, how do you think then because of are spending time inside now, do you think the world is just going to, it was already such a digital world, but do you think it's just going to blow up digitally after this? Yeah, look, I think, you know, it's very difficult to ascertain what's going to happen. Um, Two things are going to happen without a doubt. One is obviously the digitization of our reality is going to change communication, make our world even more orderless, make many more things much cheap education because why would you need to be paying um, one teacher who's focused on 30 kids we can have one teacher that's focused to a hundred thousand kids with an AI on your computer looking after your kids basic needs with one teacher I mean so the, the, the concept of education is changing the concept of communication is changing the concept of all those things are changing but 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 we also have a craving for human need uh, for human touch so we've got this incredible acceleration to high-tech but I also think we have an incredible craving for high touch. And so I think that both of them are going to come out of this. And I don't know what they're going to look like. You know, I don't know what it's going to be like. But I also have heard that we will soon have a digital tracking of our own health, which we will have to allow governments access to so we can check if we are going to be contaminating everybody else or anybody else around us. Just like we have tsunami warnings or earthquake warnings, we also need to have human health warnings. So the next time you go on a date, you won't only be checking out whether the guy's cute or not, you'll be checking his health certificate and going, okay, well, let's see what you have, son, before before we hook up in any way. Um, So there's all these sort of trends that are coming out on the sides, which also makes sense, you know what I mean? Um, I mean, if you just think about the countries that have done the best, like South Korea, they've been able to track and isolate people sick immediately. And they've kept the economy going by being able to track these people immediately. So I think that's a trend that's coming out of this. But digitization was always going to become more and more part of our world, but this has just fast-tracked it. But I don't think anybody expected us to also be craving human touch, which I think is a surprising trend that we'll start seeing after this. Yeah, that's such a good point because I think it's um, people, uh, I mean, I, like I said, I'm in self-isolation. I'm like, when was the last time I hugged someone? It's weird. You then forget yeah. and then you're like... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Look, I'm, a sing- I'm single, right? And as a single person, I'm sure you'll agree, but I suppose girls are different because women are with their friends are much more touchy-feely. I mean, guys aren't touchy-feely with their friends. I mean, you're like, what's up, guy? How are you? And then that's it. You're like, have a shake hand, maybe, or a hug. And then that's it. You know, as a single guy, I've got to tell you, the major thing I miss is just touch. Like, nobody, you don't touch anybody. Nobody touches you. So I think that's also going to become kind of like really important, you know? 
Yeah, I completely agree. It's uh, the oxytocin, which actually someone told me the other day, who's a neuroscientist, uh, she was saying a hot bath gives oxytocin as well. I was like, well, that's good to know for people ah, who, who can't have a hug right that's now. That's a great point. <laughs> yeah, that's a great point. I like that. Okay, good. Thank you for that. So I've read the quote in your book, which I love, which was, you know, confronting pain and letting go is a painful process and one that's reserved for the brave which I, I do believe, um, and that people will need to be brave in many aspects at the moment, but whether it's because they've been through pain from losing a loved one at this point or whether they have you know, been in isolation or whether they're just not willing to look at what's going on within themselves. So how do you think that people can start that process of being brave, of sort of igniting that bravery in themselves to really look at the pain that's needed to come up and heal? Mm. So look, I mean, I think that's, I, I made that the last point of my book because I think it's the hardest part. And what I, what I am encouraging people to do is realize that every single human being is made up of memories. And uh, science has recently proven that 50% of our memories are wrong. They are just subjective stories that we're holding on to to create an identity that we don't want to let go of. Whether that identity is about resentfulness, anger, pain, depression, whatever the case may be, we want to hold on to those because we're comfortable with those. And in fact, our brains have become addicted to arguing with those people in the quiet of our mind over and over and over. And I wish I said hit that to him and next time he comes to me. But truth is, maybe those memories are just rubbish. Maybe they're just subjective stories. So instead of trying to figure out which memory is right or wrong, try and figure out which memory energizes you and which memory makes you upset. And then try and take those upset ones and become empathetic towards the person that you have an issue with. Because if you realize that anybody you have an issue with has their own story going on. Everybody that you have an issue with has their own pain that they want. And maybe they were harmful to you and maybe they were malicious towards you. But what did you do to get there and be, be the victim of their malicious intent? And so the minute you can break down this innate innate sort of need to be angry and resentful and be addicted to being upset with somebody from your past, if you can get rid of that and change it to feeling empathetic towards that person in that situation, that's the bravery I'm talking about. Because it needs bravery for you to think about something that you've, somebody or something that you've hated for the last 10, 15, 20 years and actually see them in an empathetic way. You've now released yourself from your past and now you can start creating your future because you can't redesign, recalibrate and recreate your future if you haven't healed your past because you're still stuck in your past. So Dr. Joe Dispenza always says is the wise person is a person who has memories with no triggers. And so how do you go about becoming triggerless and how do you go about thanking those people in your past rather than being upset with them? And I call them dark angels. And we all have dark angels in our past, you know, people that came to come and hurt us. And those were angels because they were trying to show us something. And guess what? You yourself have been a dark angel in somebody else's memory. So don't think you all saintly because you yourself are also a dark angel in somebody's world. And do you think about those people that you were a dark angel to? No, you couldn't give a tooth. You've forgotten about them. And those people are still stuck on them, just like you stuck on those other people that you're having an issue with. So when I urge people to be brave, is be brave in realizing that if you still are being triggered from people or places or things from your past, you haven't evolved. And if you haven't evolved, you're stuck. And if you're stuck, you need to be brave. I love that. I think that's so, so well put. It's just, I, I really believe that. Well, we all have um, 
you know, dark angels, as you say, and people that are sent to come into our lives for that exact purpose, to teach us and a lesson, to help us to expand and evolve. But whether we actually heal and take that lesson the right way or whether we get stuck in it is really our personal choice. So I think it's a really... It's a, it's a great thing for everyone to do at all times in their life, but it's definitely a good time to look at what you're actually stuck on at the moment, if you can. Um, so in, on that... I mean, I, I'm stuck. Yeah. You're no, the, you're stuck. I, I was just going to say, I, I go for... Yeah, I'm stuck. Like, I'm talking about it and I'll, I'll, be, I'll be on the ride, right? I live in, a, I'm staying in a forest and I'm running in the forest and then I'll start getting into an argument with somebody in my head. And I'm like, dude, what are you talking, what are you doing? Why are you arguing? Why are you putting yourself in this state here? You're running in this most beautiful forest with the most incredible fresh air. There's nobody around you. And now you're arguing with somebody from 10 years ago from social media, like get on with it. So yes, we get caught up in it. So yeah, just be aware, become brave, become courageous to want to change your perspective and release yourself of that angst. I love that. It's a big one. The spiritual side of this, there's obviously a lot of thoughts going around in this. And and what, first of all, I'd love to ask you what spirituality personally means to you, because it means something different to everyone. And that's what I love about it. So Mm. what's your own sense Mm. of spirituality? What does that mean to you? Yeah, I think spirituality, just like veganism or just like any other word, like innovation has been bastardized. And I don't think it actually means anything that everybody else thinks it means. For me, spirituality is how much more can you access your genius? Because ultimately, like Mark Twain said, there's two reasons that you're on earth. The two most important days of your life are when you're born and when you find out why. When you find out why, you become spiritual. That's it. Yeah. (laughs) When you find out why, you've now connected with your spirit. You become spiritual, which means that now you can start adding value to the world from the most pure, most energetic, most collaborative, most abundant endless energy stream that you can access. And this happened to me after my divorce, right? I mean, I got divorced four years ago and I sat there in a pile of snot and tears for six months feeling sorry for myself. I need to come out of the other side realizing that I've been a boy for my whole life and I had no idea that I'd been a boy for 40 years and I walked and stepped into the responsibility of manhood and guess what? I became spiritual, but it's not even spiritual. It's just I stepped into my power and that for me is spirituality. I believe that, Master. I always say spirituality is um, a greater connection to yourself and a greater connection to something outside of yourself as well, in whatever way that is, whether it's kindness or, you know, anything. It doesn't have to be... But you, but you realize when you, when you tap into that endless energy, you can only be kind. There's actually... You can't not be, and you can only be collaborative because you realize that there's an endless stream of innovation, creativity, and energy that's coming to you. So why would you be... Uh, secretive and why would you be uh, in competition you, you, it goes against all the natural states that that energy brings and so I think of Steve Jobs in his, his Stanford uh, University lecture where he said don't ever stop trying to find out what that thing is because when you do you'll realize that everything that you've done up to now has been hard work and everything past that point is going to become easy so true so as well at the moment, I think there's obviously like two sides to this coin. And like you said, we're, what it's done is essentially shed a light on a lot of suffering that's been going on under the surface that everyone's been aware of. But it's now such a polarity of a lot of people are lucky enough to be reflecting in their homes with a roof over their head and having almost like not downtime, but their downtime for themselves as well as working. And then some people are 
really struggling, have, you know, struggling to put food on the table, struggling to, you know, deal with what's happened because they, they're losing their jobs and all sorts of things going on. So how do you think people who are really suffering at this time, how do you think they can sort of help themselves when they really can't see, you know, a way out of this and they really, really are suffering underneath it all? Yeah, look, um, you said downtime. I call it in time. This is in time. You're physically in and you're emotionally in. So you just don't, you're just like, everywhere you're in, you're like in now <laughs> and you're forced to go in, right? So look, I think I, I, I've been asked this question before about helping the people that are really in, in a place of suffering and pain. And I've got to answer this in two ways. One, that's not my target market. My target market are mostly people that are doing well that want to do better. Uh, people that are in deep pain and suffering, um, they were already in deep pain and suffering. This is just making them even more deep pain and suffering. They were already in survival consciousness. They were already triggered at the very low end of the junior consciousness triangle. They were already in poor me. They were already in savior. So it's just, it, 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 you know, it's, it's magnified it. And so the, the exact same thing I'll tell everybody else. Take the steps, start going through a process of reascertaining who you are, what stories are you holding on to from your childhood that make you feel like you're not worth any more abundance? Why are you thinking that you have to wait for another job? Why are you not starting your own thing? There's so much opportunity out there if you can start looking for it and get into the right state. If you've heard of this thing called the internet, there's 5 billion people on it. All you have to do is get 0.001% of them to pay you $1 a month and you can become a multimillionaire. Think about the opportunities out there and then try and figure out why you're not accessing them. And so I wrote my first book called What's Your Moonshot? And What's Your Moonshot is about this concept of how big, how bold, and how courageous are your questions about the future. And if you're not thinking like a billionaire, and let me just say uh, in the book by billionaire, I mean a person who impacts a, people's, a, person who impacts a billion people's lives positively. That's the new, that's the new definition of billionaire. I so if you're that. not aim, aiming to be a billionaire, you know what's holding you back? Your victim mindset. That's the only thing. It's just because you're stuck in your triangle of victimization. And let me tell you, you know what the worst thing to tell a victim is that they're a victim. That's why that's not my, that's not my target because I, I, I almost have less patience there. And I'm like, listen, you're just stuck in your own crap. I call it the emotional long drop of victimization. I don't know if you know what a long drop is, but it's these toilets in the villages here in, in Africa and I guess all around the world where they dig a big, big, big long hole and everybody goes and that's their toilet, right? It's called the long drop. And so I call it the long drop of self-victimization. Was when you swimming in a long drop, guess what? All your friends around you are also swimming in a long drop, and you all smell as bad as each other. So you all sit in a state of shame, blame, and not taking responsibility for your reality, and you can't get out of it. And I remember when I went through my bankruptcy, I was swimming in a, in a, in a pool of poo for like three, four <laughs> years, and in other words, of depression. And, I, and you know what? All my friends were exactly the same as me. All of a sudden, my circle of friends changed. And people always say, you know, when the good times are good, I have these friends, but then those friends aren't around me when the bad times are bad. It's not because they don't want to be around you. It's because you've changed, because you went from a victor to a victim. So who wants to hang around a victim when they are going through pain? So ultimately, if you are taking a major strain or if you're taking slight strain or if you're doing really well, the principles are all the same. Take responsibility of your emotional state, your physical state, and your mental state, and watch yourself progress. Watch yourself blossom right in front of your own eyes when you take the responsibility. I love that. I think that's um, such an elegant you know, way of saying it all because it is essentially, like you say, having a magnifying glass over what was already happening. So 
it's uh so you still have to do the work yourself. We still have to, you know, be brave. Look, enough. I'm still having to do the work. Every monk out there who's meditating eight <laughs> hours a day, if they stop meditating for for five days, they'll go back straight to this, you know. So it's not, <laughs> it's everybody, you know. It's like not like, and people always say like, John, like, how are you so creative? It's amazing that you've got a book out so quickly. I'm like, dude, I'm work hard at this. This is hard work. When the quiet of my room, my social life has gone down to zero, and this was before Corona. Because I'm meditating at half past eight. I'm in bed, I'm in bed at half past eight. I'm meditating until half past nine, ten. I get into bed, I wake up at five, I meditate, and then start my day. And because of this, I've created an incredibly successful career. But let me tell you, this takes work. It's not something that's just happened by willy-nilly and by mistake, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're someone who's obviously, your job is to be obsessed almost with the future. So how does someone who spends a lot of time in the future in their own mind find peace in the present? Because as we know, if you're thinking about the past a lot, people can get depressed. If you're thinking about the future a lot, you can get anxious. So how do you, well, obviously you meditate, as you've said, which is amazing. But if you are spending such a huge percentage of your time thinking about the future, how do you find that peace in yourself? Yeah, look, I think, again, um, thinking, reminiscing about your amazing past doesn't make you depressed, and thinking about the most abundant future doesn't make you anxious. It depends how you're looking at both of those, right? It's the perspective of the holder that really creates the anxiousness or the, or the, or the sort of blissful state, you know? So ultimately, I've got to, I've got to, I've got to say is that my highest curiosity is human psychology and the future, so when you have tapped into your curiosity, no matter where it is, you might be a historian. Just because you're studying history doesn't mean you're depressed. It just means that it's your highest excitement. It's your deepest curiosity. What's his name? Yuval Harari, Noah Harari, the guy who wrote Homadeus and all those amazing books. He's a historian. He's not depressed. I mean, he's, he's, he's unbelievable. I love him so much. He's so, so switched on, but it doesn't mean he's depressed that he's in the past. So I don't think necessarily because I'm always focused on the future that I'm anxious, not at all in any way. I'm trying to ascertain the possibilities that we can create in our future. There's a great saying that says that best way to predict your future is to create it because ultimately we're living in a world full of electronic waves. So then if we are living in a world of electronic waves, then what you perceive is what you create. So you might as well create a possibility of a best future for everybody. So yes, I am spending time in the future, but I avoid anything that's divisive. I avoid anything that's trying to create exclusivity. I want to be able to focus on inclusivity and I want to focus on upliftment and how we can use the future in those terms. But you can also get some futurists that are only focused on cyber um, bullying or cyber security. And those people are depressed. And so yes, <laughs> it just depends how you want to ascertain it and the way you want to categorize it yourself. So it answers my question perfectly because it's about, like you say, it's about focusing on what you do want, not what you don't want. And then you will be in that happy mm. state, whether it's backwards yeah. or forwards. To finish, I'd love to ask two questions. I always finish with everyone because I think also you must have read a lot. So I'd love to know the answer to this. What is one that has changed your life for the better? One book that um, changed my understanding of what a book could be was Shantaram. I, I read Shantaram. Yeah, oh my God, that book. I still dream about that book. I read it 10 years ago, if not even more. But it, it showed me the ability to 
create a story that sucks you in so deeply. And I just loved everything that book was about. Look, I can give you, a, a, I can rattle off a hundred different books that changed my idea on innovation, which was actually, I can say to you with the purple cow by Seth Godin, which really shifted my mind around what I should focus on in business. But then throughout the years, what started happening for me is I'm watching a lot more YouTube, a lot more TED Talks, and listening to a lot more podcasts. And, and that's become my sort of um, uh, place where I pick up on uh, a lot of information. So I've kind of moved away from books because I feel that it takes too long for me to upgrade myself by reading a whole book. And that's just my personality. I'm a generalist specialist, and I know people that are specialists like to dive deeper into subjects, but I'm a generalist specialist, so I leave you pick up a lot of things from a lot of different sources rather than just getting stuck into a book. But Chantaram, for now, and my whole life has been the best book I've ever read. Yeah, I love that book. It's, it's one of the best books I've ever read. You just get completely transported into the story. And I just love how, I mean, the whole journey of that story is incredible. So if anyone who hasn't I mean, read do it. Do you not remember pra- Prabakpia? What's it, Prabakpia, yeah. his friend? I mean, that guy, I love him. I still love him. I still like, oh my God, I love that guy. It was so cool. So I remember kind. that book, you know. He's so kind, man. And I remember that book. I, I was reading, 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 reading until I got to about two thirds and I realized I'm nearly finishing. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Then <laughs> yeah. I started, I, mean, <laughs> I was like, whoa, 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 this is going too fast. I need to pull back. So I started only giving myself like 10 or 15 pages a day so I could extend the story, you know? <laughs> I love it. So to finish, what is one intention or mantra that you personally try to live by? Um... Yeah, it's a great question. You know, ultimately, I, th- I I always want to, and I'm amazed by my ability to access information that I had no idea I'd access to. And, and I mean this by when I start typing a book or when I start writing a blog post or when I, when I get on stage and start talking, often I don't know where the stuff's coming from. And it's weird because when I read my own books for Audible, which I've done myself, um, I sometimes get to a passage and go, wow, that's really good. I mean, I, I don't even remember, I mean, I remember writing it. I, I had no clue I'd written that, right? So I think my fascination and my intention is how much more access can I get to this pocket of genius that I have above my mind? And the more work I do on myself and the more I open my heart and the more I access my emotional states and those sort of things, the access I get to this energy is just, it, 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 it dazzles me and, and, and I'm so like grateful for it. So my one intention is to get more access to myself as and when I grow. Oh, I love that. And uh, it'll be very beneficial for the rest of us when you do. So thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, thank I love you. your work. And I will be putting in the show notes for people listening. They can find the link for you know, your ebooks and the website. Thank I'm you. Sure people want to read after listening to this. So thank you so much, thank John. So it's much. been amazing. Yeah, thank you, Alice. Great to see you. Thank you so much for tuning into the Lawali Live podcast. I hope you enjoyed today's episode with the incredible John Sane. The details for how you can download his ebook and find more about him are in the show notes, which I really would advise at this time because he's written many books, but he got this ebook out straight away as soon as the pandemic occurred, and it is so, so fascinating. Otherwise, if you're enjoying the show in general, please click subscribe and download all the episodes so I can continue to bring you more amazing guests like him from around the world, particularly at this time of quarantine when we're all in need of some uplifting, fascinating people to inspire and calm us. Stay tuned. <laughs>